Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Well, I hope you realize that that was not genuine worship that we played on the screen there. That was intended to uh, to be a mockery. Um, as much as happening today that, that does mock our contemporary Christian culture, I mean, you compare the nonsense of that song, and to be honest, it sounds like something that could be on the radio with some different words today. But just compare that to some of the things that we, we heard today. Um, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. I mean, that, the, the depth of that song, or, or even that simple doxology, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, Three and one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. And I'm going to tell you, if you haven't heard a pre-K little girl sing that chorus at the top of her lungs, um, you, you really haven't heard uh, that song being sung. The satirization of Christian culture may be funny, but it should make us pretty uncomfortable as well. I found this, that, that good satire only works when it's really close to the truth. Uh, when, when it gets really nudges right up to the truth, but then we say, okay, uh, maybe that's not quite right. And that's what makes good satire biting as a form of communication. And sadly, songs like this, which are intended to strike that chord, and a lot of the memes that we see on the internet, these things hit a little too close to home because they mock our interaction with that which is to be supremely holy. Uh, again, we gather as the body of Christ to, to meet with a holy, righteous God. Yet so much of what we do in the church can be summarized and in a sense made fun of by simple little songs like that that a, a group in South Carolina published. During our adult Bible study on Wednesday nights, we've been looking at a book that's really been transformative for me. It's called Overcoming Apathy by a Biola University professor, Uke Anazor. And it's been a really helpful, thought-provoking conversation uh, if you've been able to be a part of that. And in this conversation on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about some of the things that lead to spiritual apathy. And one of the most profound suggestions that has come up has been the idea of triviality. And again, I won't reteach that lesson, but the gist of, of that idea is that we have a tendency as the people today to be caught up in everything so that we don't have space for things that really matter. We, we really are an entertained people. Goodness gracious, we're so entertained. But at what cost for us to be entertained? Just consider the amount of time people spend interacting with media of various sorts. In the book, Dr. Anazor references a 2019 study. This was before the pandemic. I imagine it's worse today. He said that the study found that the average gamer, someone who plays online games at least once a week, spends over seven hours a week in online gaming. That seems to be a low number, but notice the focus is only on online games. Another study shows 56% of kids between the ages of 13 and 17 years of age spend at least two and a half hours a day on video games, while 66% of those 8 to 12-year-olds spend at least two hours. Add this to the fact that children spend seven hours per day 
interacting with media. On top of this, the average American watches 2.8 hours of television per day, which is almost 20 hours per week, while those 15 to 44 years of age read less than 10 minutes per day. He said that a youth pastor friend recently shared that it was not unheard of for students to spend seven hours a day on TikTok. Seven hours. There's only 24. Like, y'all got the same amount I've got, right? I mean, there are times I feel like I need a little bit more, but last I checked, we're only budgeted 24. Last weekend, I got shortchanged an hour. And so there's only 24, and seven of those hours are spent on a single application on a smartphone, TikTok. I, I, y'all don't raise your hands up there because uh, I know you're sitting in the balcony up there. Seven hours. But compare these facts with this fact. Look around. Look at the people. Look at the cross. Look at the images that you see gathered in this room today. We're spending seven hours a day looking at pixels on a screen, but God calls us into a place like this to interact with his people and to interact with him, the creator God of the universe. And, and we're called to, to interact with this incredible message that we call the gospel. And, and it really is stunning if you stop and think about the power of the gospel. In the gospel, there is a truly cosmic reckoning where God's declared enemies, that's us, we are given the opportunity to become his friends through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So, so there is a cosmic problem in that we have transgressed against the holy creator God. But in the gospel, he says, you who were my enemies who have transgressed against the creator, you who were once enemies are now declared friends because of my great love for you. And he restores us. I mean, let that rattle around in your head for a minute. But, but God does even more than that to the point that it's not just that he makes us his friends. In the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the creator God of the universe writes our relationship with him through the cross, he not only makes us his friends who were once his enemies, who were hostile and alienated from him, he then adopts us into his family to be called daughters and sons of the creator of all things. So we live in this stunning season of such remarkable contrasts. As Christians today, we walk in the footsteps of countless men and women for whom the gospel was a life or death decision. And we enter into the presence of the Almighty through the blood that was poured out on the cross. Yet our experience of this incredible reality is so often filtered through meme-worthy triviality. To quote the brother of Jesus, James, he said, my brothers, these things ought not be so. Our passage this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it asks us to step out of the triviality of our TikTok culture and consider for a moment something of utmost, of primary importance. It's only one verse today. But let me encourage you, Go ahead and get that physical paper Bible. Go ahead and get it. If you didn't bring one, 
Don't worry, we won't call you out. If you don't own one, let me know before you leave today. If your Bible is contained in pixels on your phone, please let me know today so we can fix that. Get your paper physical Bible and find 1 Thessalonians. If you don't know how to find it, look at that table of contents page. It's just like any other book. Find 1 Thessalonians, and I want you to fill its pages as you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want you to listen as the body flips those pages together. And as you turn to those words, say in your heart, this is the word of God. And understand something about this book as you interact with it. It will never vibrate or ding at you begging you to look at something else. You're not going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and get a push notification that says, hey, there's something exciting going on over in Genesis. Look now. It's not going to happen. It's not going to need its battery charged. You're not going to be reading and say, oh, man, i got to go plug it in. And it will always be the Word of God written for your good and for God's glory. So this morning as we consider these simple words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, may we receive it for what it is in all of its simplicity and all of its sufficiency. And as we share these words this morning, would you stand if you're able in honor of its reading? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, one verse, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Father, I am thankful for the word of God written by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, perfect in all of its ways, sufficient for all things we need for faith and practice. Thank you for the words that you have given us. May we handle them well today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. We've been working through 1 Thessalonians. We've been in chapter 2 now for a little bit. And we get to verse 13, and, and it's kind of a transition point. Prior to this verse, verse 13, Paul has been talking about the character of his ministry. We've been talking about the fact that Paul has to defend himself against the, the forces that, that be there in the city of Thessalonica. We get to verse 14, and then Paul goes back to reflecting on the character of the church. And so verse 13 is this transition point. And verse 13 considers, uh, asks us to consider the word of God, which is what explains the character of the church. The church is like it is because they received the word that was presented by the apostle and his companions. And I'm afraid that we often take for granted these words. They are, it's the book, it's the app on our phone. We often take it for granted. But it is the precious word of God that Paul says here that God has graciously given to us and he has so graciously preserved it for us. Keep in mind that we meet today and we read the same scripture, though it's maybe in modern English in your hands, but it is the same scripture that the church has been reading now for the better part of 2,000 years. And so the, the, God has preserved his word for us, and we are grateful that God has preserved his word for us. It is the word of God. 
But it's not just the written word that Paul is talking about here because the New Testament places a high priority on how that word is transmitted. And it's important for us to understand this. Proper preaching and teaching are essential in our sanctification. That's easy for the preacher to say, you better listen to me or else. I understand that, that, that this is a circular argument that we're making here, but hang with me for just a minute. Back in the previous verse, Paul had reminded the church about his ongoing encouragement to them to walk in a manner worthy of God. We talked about this last week. He is teaching, instructing, preaching to them, telling them what their life should look like, what their character should look like, so that as they walk in Christ, they are reflecting a manner that is worthy of God and his holiness. But then in the very next verse, he gives thanks for the fact that they learned how to walk in such a way by receiving the word from him. One of the things that we need to remember about this time in the church is that there was no New Testament for them to reference. The preacher couldn't stand up and say, you guys look at 1 Thessalonians. It didn't exist until the apostle Paul wrote it. And so the church in Corinth may not have had access to the words that Paul wrote here in 1 Thessalonians. It was being composed, however, through the work of inspiration. God inspired the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He inspired them to write those words down. God inspired men like Paul and Peter and John and Jude and James to send letters, which eventually worked their way into the New Testament. But prior to the development of our New Testament scriptures, the preaching and teaching of the apostles and those that they raised up behind them like Timothy were absolutely essential for the ongoing growth and health of the church. Somebody that knew what they were talking about, who knew something about Jesus, had to stand in front of the church and say, this is what the Lord says. Therein lies the importance of the preacher for these New Testament churches. Now, today, we have the Bible in its completed form. It's widely accessible. It's more accessible today than it's ever been before. You can, with a click of a button, look at versions side by side. There are ways that you can access all sorts of different translations. I can get, to you, get you to the Greek and Hebrew text in about 30 seconds right here with my iPad. It's really easy to do. It's more accessible than it's ever been before. But we still recognize the significance of the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. God has ordained the preaching and teaching of His Word as a means by which we grow in Christ. And it remains one of the primary means by which lost people are confronted with sin and offered hope in Christ. That is still how God works. Now again, I never want to diminish the role of personal, individual Bible reading. However... There is something supernatural and significant about the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, How then will they call, in, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The New Testament affirms the role of preaching, and it's still important that that happens today. It isn't hard, however... For you to go find preaching that isn't proper. Keep in mind the first word there, proper. The internet is full of it. Cable television channels are devoted to it. I looked up the top 25 religious podcasts. 
And in the top 25 religious podcasts, you find Mormon podcasts, Prosperity Gospel podcasts, you find Catholic podcasts right alongside sound Bible teachers and preachers that I would have no problem referencing or referring you to. But alongside of that, for someone who isn't wise, who isn't discerning, you can get into Mormonism and all kinds of Prosperity Gospel teaching right alongside solid Orthodox Bible teaching, just with a few clicks of the screen. At the same time, it's absolutely stunning just to consider the simple fact that in tens of thousands of pulpits all over the world today, preachers will stand in front of vast crowds or tiny gatherings, they will open their Bibles, and they will faithfully preach the Word. Just think about that. Tens of thousands of pulpits today, right now, across the world, people are faithfully preaching the Word of God. There will be skilled public speakers who are great orators. There'll be those who are a little bit nervous when they stand up to speak. There will be sermons that are uplifting, there will be sermons that are challenging. But God, in His infinite wisdom, has decided that the preaching of his word is a means by which we continue to grow and we continue to know Jesus Christ. Now, you certainly have access to the best preachers in the world today. You can watch their services online. You can listen to their podcasts. But I think the last three years, three years ago is, is when we shut everything down. It's the anniversary of that. But the pandemic taught us something. There is something missing when all we do is watch from home or listen through our earbuds. I love listening to good Christian preachers. I love listening, and, and I'll give you, it's not just Baptists I listen to. I like some of the other guys, too. I mean, I filter out the stuff that I don't agree with, but there's some good preachers that don't always have Baptist after their name. But I, I don't participate in their church. I'm missing something. Because we understand this, listening to recorded sermons is helpful. But the word should also be considered and experienced in community. You know, chapter 13 or verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 2, this is one of these places where, where the southern version of the English language does a better job of helping us understand the text in proper English. Uh, one day I wish somebody would sit down and write a proper southern translation of the Bible that, that, that gets to the southern dialects of which we speak. Not, not like, I mean, they've written Hawaiian pigeon Bibles and all those sort of things, but, but there's some southern words that the Bible actually would, it would help us to understand it better. Listen to verse 13 in the Brian Carroll Southern Translation. We also thank God constantly for this, that when y'all received the word of God, which you heard from us, y'all accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work, and pay attention, which is at work in all y'all believers. Again, that you know what he's talking about now because we got some good words in there that help to clarify what he was talking about. And, and if you're not from the South, you can put you guys in there, but that doesn't sound nearly as good. Or use guys, whatever. Here, here's the thing. I can speak to you. Or I can speak to you. 
And if someone were listening without context or reading a transcript, for example, they would not know if I were speaking to you or you as the church. But if I talk to y'all, then a listener or a reader would say, well, he got more people in the room than just one person. This is not just a one-on-one conversation. This is a, a public conversation. There is a group involved. There's definitely more than one person if it's, if it's y'all. And if it's all y'all, then nobody's excluded. Because I can talk to y'all, and they may be excluded. But if I say all y'all, then that means everybody under the sound of my voice is included in that. There were times in the Bible where we see personal and individual instruction and discipleship. But this is one of these times, and that's why I said y'all matters here because it's plural. This is one of these times where the body received the word. The church, the group, the people gathered received the word of God. The body benefited from its proper exposition and its proper interpretation. If you're sitting at home and you're watching Charles Stanley, you're probably getting a good sermon. No doubt you're probably getting a good sermon. But I'll tell you what you're missing. You are not experiencing the community of First Baptist Church Atlanta. You're not. You can hear Dr. Stanley preach all day long, but you can never experience the community of First Baptist Atlanta unless you walk in the door. And even if you're listening to the Chat Valley podcast, or you're watching on our YouTube channel at home, you might be hearing my best shot at a decent sermon. But you are not experiencing the community of these believers gathered together in this room, in this time, and in this place. It doesn't even come close. And I know, I know there's plenty of people who stay at home. Three years ago, we operated under a myth. And I remember trying to sell the myth, and I owe you an apology for my attempts to sell the myth, that we could somehow or another recreate at home that which is created in this space. That was a lie. That was a lie. We can't do that. We operated under the myth that somehow if we, if we just all sat in the room together and we opened our Bibles together, if we somehow just all gathered up and we listened to the music and we listened to the preaching, that something would, would trigger it at home and it would be just like being in the room. It's not. It's not. We learned very quickly that online church was just a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. It was, an, it was an attempt, and it was a great tool that we had when we needed it, but it didn't even come close to solving the problem. I had a fellow pastor this week talking about the online community and was talking about that online community like it was a legitimate expression of the church gathered for worship, but it isn't. It may be a tool for a season. It may be a good way to get the gospel into dark places, but it will never replace the real thing or even come in a close second. We still stream our services today, but we don't do it as a safety measure. We do it for those who, who, who have to be away, who, who can't be here. We, we do it for those who, uh, so they can stay connected to what's taking place. We do it so that people who are curious about our church can see who we are before they ever show up. 
But the community that we experience as we gather in this place, as we open our Bibles together, as we read the Word of God together, as we hear preaching and teaching together, as we sing together, that cannot be duplicated in a digital realm. Not only does Paul emphasize the significance of the preached Word in community, he also wants us to understand the significance of the Word when we interact with it. He says the scriptures are the word of God, not just words about God. This is the difference between a history book and an autobiography. You can go read lots of books about the Holocaust, but it won't compare to reading the actual words of somebody who actually worked to save the Jews as you would read in The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Her words will be very different and will be a very different experience than reading a history book about that because she lived it. She hid the Jews. She put her life on the line for the sake of those she was trying to save. You can go watch the movie Jesus Revolution. I've not seen it. I've heard people give high praise about it. But I can promise you that even as good as that movie may or may not be, it's not going to be the same as reading Chuck Smith's autobiography. It's just not the same. Chuck Smith wrote it in his own words. He was there. He was an eyewitness. It was about his life and his ministry. Many of our sister churches in the more liturgical, liturgical traditions will end their scripture reading during the public service, and the reader will say something along the lines of, this is the word of God, and the congregation will respond how? Thanks be to God. Because this is the Word of God. When you look at your Bible, it's made up of 66 books. It's a collection of various types of literature, poetry, and prose. There are different parts that are a delight to read. There's some parts that are very difficult to read. Hang out Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Yeah, those are tough. Those are tough reads. But from the opening phrase in the beginning to the last amen, it is the word of God. It is sufficient in that it teaches us what God wants us to know about him and what he wants us to know about us. We don't need additional content. We don't need additional scriptures. We don't need a book of Mormon or a pearl of great price. We don't need a Quran. We don't need extra because what God has given us is sufficient. And while we benefit from centuries of experience of others who have helped us to understand that they've put in their thoughts and their words and commentaries and things like that. And even while we may benefit from the, even the study notes that are at the bottom of your Bible, those study notes are not the Word of God. They are words about God. They may be helpful but they are not the word of God. I love the interaction of Jesus and his disciples in John chapter 6. Jesus introduces his disciples to a very controversial statement. He tells them that he is the bread of life. I am the bread of life, Jesus says, linking himself with the burning bush experience that Moses had back in the books of, book of Exodus when in the gospel of John when Jesus says, I am something. He is saying, I am, as in the Old Testament God that Moses interacted with. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. He metaphorically told the disciples that they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And the disciples heard that and said, oh, Jesus that, that's too far. We can't do this. Now, now, we know he was setting the stage for the Lord's Supper when we gather together and we eat the bread and we drink of the, the fruit of the vine as a remembrance of what Jesus did, his sacrifice, his shed blood. He was paving the way for that conversation, but there were some of the disciples who couldn't quite go there. They left Jesus because they didn't understand. 
But we pick up in John chapter 6, verse 67, Jesus looks at the 12. He says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Man, that's absolutely stunning. I don't think for a second Peter understood the fullness of what was happening here. But I don't think it mattered because Peter did understand something. Jesus' words counted. They were not empty words. They weren't casual words. They may have been entertaining, but they weren't entertaining words. They were the words of eternal life. Again, consider this contrast. If you've got one of these things, set it next to your Bible. Look at the two of them. Your phone has lots of tools on it. Yesterday, we were, we were in a remote part in western North Carolina taking an eight-mile hike. You could have gone five or ten miles in any direction and not found another person. It was amazing. And I had this thing with me, and it didn't have service. And because it didn't have service, guess what it was? It was a compass. It was a map. It was a camera. That's it. That's all it was. A compass, a map, and a camera. It was absolutely amazing. And as soon as that thing hit a cell tower on the way back home, it did its thing again. It suddenly had all sorts of things ready to distract me. Thankfully, I was driving, and it couldn't distract me right away. Had all sorts of things like, pay attention to me, look at me, this is what's going on, this is what's happening, you need to know about this, here's the latest tweet, here's what you just missed, pay attention to me, it said. And I look at all these distractions sitting next to my Bible. And aside from the Bible app on my phone, only one of these things contains the words of eternal life. Only one. And you got to think, God went through all the trouble to compile these books, to tell this story, to do what he did. He definitely had something more in mind than just our casual encounter. That he had to have something more in mind than just something that we find on a quick Google search. He had to have something more in mind that we just open it when it's convenient on Sundays. He had to have something more in mind than that. Which leads to Paul's conclusion here. The word will work on you. Man, I love this. Or y'all. The word will work on you guys for my northern friends. When we understand the significance of what we're dealing with, when we interact with the word of God, 
then we have to understand that this is more than just an intellectual exercise. It's more than just us sitting down and consuming what it says. There's more to it than just applying it and, and gaining the knowledge that is there. God uses his word as it is preached, as it is taught, as it is studied to conform us more and more into his image. God's word will work on you. Consider what he says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active. If you interact with a living and active thing, it's going to affect you. Don't believe me? Go find a snake. If it is living and active, it will interact with you. You won't like its interaction with you, but it is living and active. God's word is living and active. It will interact with you. It's not a dead word. It's not a history record. God's word, informed and inspired by the Holy Spirit, will work on you. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We know God uses various means to work in us. We know he uses trials and suffering to work in us. We all go through those things from time to time, and those trials and ordeals are designed to shape us and mold us. We know that as Christians, God the Holy Spirit dwells within us to convict us of sin, lead us towards righteousness. We understand that that is a means that God uses to, to work in us and on us. But the Word of God is what defines those things for us. The Word of God is where we receive our marching orders as the people of God. And the Word of God provides for us the guardrails that keep us on the right pathway. It'd be super easy for us to go off on tangents, to go do our own thing. When, you know, I, I heard a voice that told me I should do this. That's what Joseph Smith did. I heard a voice. Uh, I saw tablets, and I, I felt the need to translate them. He heard a voice. He didn't stay inside the guardrails of, of, the, of the Word of God, and as a consequence, we have the Mormon faith now. The Word of God gives us the guardrails that keeps us on the right pathway, and God places a tremendous priority on His Word. And if that's the case, how can we deny that it doesn't have a greater role in our lives? You know, there's all sorts of nonsensical things that we listen to. Some of it's intentional, some of it's accidental. I shared a nonsensical video with you to begin the, server, the sermon today. And I believe that truth be told, some of these nonsensical themes have crept into this sphere to cheapen our experience as the people of God as well. Look, I, I understand we may not be able to remove the trivial things from our lives today. We live in a world that's made up of so much that's trivial and nonsensical. It's hard to remove that from us today. But at least if we understand how much triviality there is out there, we can at least counter that with that which is eternal. 
We can counter the comedic with the Christ honoring. We can counter the trivial with the eternal for God's glory. And in this space with these people is a laboratory in which that works itself out best. Today, I don't know what your relationship is with the eternal word of God. But I can promise you that if you're spending seven hours a day on TikTok, you're not spending nearly enough time interacting with the eternal word of God. I can promise you that if your television viewing is made up of 20 plus hours a week, if you got that much time for TV, you're not making nearly enough time for the word and meditating on the word and chewing on the word and reading the word and studying the word. I can promise you that. Problem is only you know your calendar. Only you know your schedule. Only you know the amount of time that you interact with it and how much time you spend interacting with other things. But the word will work on you if you will spend time listening to good preaching, listening to good teaching, spending time in personal Bible study for your good and for God's glory. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the efficacy of your word. It is effective. It does what you intend for it to do. And Father, I thank you for the church, for the community in which the word of God finds its expression, where we see people being transformed and reformed by the proper preaching and teaching of your word by the community shared together. Father, I pray that we would have learned the lessons of the last three years and that we would see that the gathering of your body to sit under the proper exposition of your word is not something to shrug off. And it's certainly not something that can be replaced. God, we understand there are those who can't come those who are unable, those who are shut in and home. And God, we certainly understand there are seasons where some shouldn't come. But God, may our norm be we are part of the body. May our norm be that it is the gathering of the saints together that is of such great consequence. And will we remove this idea that we're somehow creating community apart from that? Thank you for your word, for the eternal words of life. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.